Thanks for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, we've got an extremely fun episode for you with Trip. You probably know them as Anti-Lawn Action off Twitter. We do go into what that Anti-Lawn Action means, as well as being Anti-Housing Association. But the main premise of the episode is socialism is not when the government does stuff. Just want to note that we did have to turn to Plan B for recording, so the audio quality is not as good as we would have liked. But despite that, I really do think that you're going to love this episode. I shouldn't really be saying this, but I dare say that this was actually one of our most fun episodes ever. Like, it was even so fun that we had a bit of a discussion before the episode officially started. We did leave in some of that chat, um, so you could... <laughs> See, see what we were talking about. But if you want the full thing unedited, you can find it on a Patreon at patreon.com slash lumpenpodcast. Follow us on Twitter at lumpen underscore radio. Find our website, lumpen.libsyn.com. Huge love and solidarity to our Patreon supporters, Jake, Joe, Rev Left, Jim, John, Grego, Oren, Slaughterround, my mate, Steve, got Gemma, Kate, Mary, Savelle, or Saville, excuse me, and Sharky. How fair to do. Let's go into it now, starting with the bonus content. Like if, yeah. you want, if you want socialism, join the army. Like, yeah, it's, it's absurd. It's so absurd. And it's like, it's still... <laughs> it's, it's like peak insanity, like the literal, like, imperialist force. Oh, that reminds me of the tweet that actually like enabled me to see your video that you replied to the one about like um uh, the military's the biggest communist party or something do you remember that oh, the one that you replied the video to that's the vi- that's that. the tweet that you replied to that enabled me to see the video for the first time that's how oh. like i yeah that's how i knew that you replied i think like someone that i knew retweeted it or something i was literally just watching it on repeat for like an hour like it was hilarious <laughs> <laughs> I I was not intending for that one to, you know, even like go, you know, quote unquote viral in like the left sphere of the internet. I'm not sure you even have to say up Twitter or just like the general area. Um, I was I was not expecting the response and I'm so glad that it's so evergreen that you can mm. see, you know, p- plug into different replies <laughs> and that's how it continues living um, after the fact. I think that's hilarious. And they people people tag me all the time when they use it. You know, like it's. I think that we're we're talking some serious goodness here that should be in the episode. Yeah, I was going to say this is basically like the podcast conversation now. So we can just kick it off now if you want. We should just really go. Are we we ready? Do you think that we should go now? Okay. Ryan, you got to join in on this karaoke. This is what the people want. This is why we've got a Patreon. this is for goodness. This is for people's health that we're doing this. For for literally for the mental health. You gotta you gotta join in karaoke, bro. We could. We, we oh shall. yeah, I'm ready. We shall, right? Could I get the the lyrics, please? Oh yes, absolutely. I the thing is, I actually never wrote them down, so I'm like ha- my transcribing it. Oh, right. I'm transcribing <laughs> everything. <laughs> Because it, it, again, it just kind of like I don't know. I I had a fever dream, and it just kind of erupted out of me, and I never bothered to record any of it except through TikTok, and that's that's how it's been <laughs> in the last few months. So, if you would allow me just a few more minutes, sure. um, 
Just a couple seconds, Stu. I continue right now. All the time you need. Um, I'll give you ten times that if it means you don't have to strain your fingers. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> There's just so many videos now of like Maradona meeting Fidel and Che in Cuba. Like I didn't even know. Like, dude, I have some like awesome banana bread, but I made it with currants. Oh, nice. And I, I fucking hate currants, so I don't know what I was thinking, but I, like, put a load of currants in it. I don't even like currants. <laughs> like, I don't Are know why I did this. I don't know! Was you trying to think this is healthy and this would be good for me? I, I can do this. And then you never. Currants are, are good. I know, but I hate them. Well, they don't hate you. Let them uh, just enter your body and then do the goodness, because it's, it's good for your body. Uh, I don't like you telling me to let things enter me. Everything's a part of us, Ryan. We're a part of everything else. Sometimes my Twitter feed just gets so wholesome. Now it's just filled with, like, pictures of Maradona, Che, and Castro. I like it. This sucks. Why do I only have to find out about these things about people after they die? Why, indeed. That's how I found out about Dr. Alexander Shulgin. We should do a video on him. I literally found out about his existence as he died. Like, because he died. Like, he made headlines, and I found out about who he was because he died. Okay, I think I've finally managed to type this out. Let's go. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Let's go. I am so sorry. When do you want to do it? Do you want to do it at, at the I've, start, at the end? I've, In the middle, could, spontaneously? You could do it... <laughs> You could do it spontaneously, you know, or even like towards the end, you know, as a show, as a, you know, a send off goodbye. Yeah, we can end with it for sure. We can end with it. That would be cool. Like as a, yeah, like a, like a sending off. Yeah. So that is, that is the basic structure. <laughs> oh, that would be so good though, because we, we always have like a song at the end of an episode. So this time it'll be yours. Yay. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I actually was uh, introduced to you guys uh, through an episode of uh, Ref Left Radio, I believe, um, when uh, I believe you guys uh, was with Brett at one point. If I'm misremembering that, I'm not sure. It was it was either that or you collabed with somebody else. I, either way, um, that's how I, uh, you know, was uh, found out about uh, the sister show, or at least the one that was being recorded across the pond. And I was like, oh, okay, that's great. Because <laughs> awesome. I never really... Yeah, so... Um, Honestly, yeah. I have no idea how we managed to get that interview with Brett, to be honest. Like, I don't... I still I don't do, know how we managed to do that, to be honest. Brett's my mate, that's how... Yeah, but I still don't know. I get he's, it. He's beloved. He's, he's been like by my side for a while. He's, he's a I lord. hear you. I still and, don't um, know how you made it happen. I know, so because because this podcast is heavy, that's why Brett's the, the man, because like there's more to life than just politics. You know? I told you about me being in random subreddits, right? And people just post that video, and I'm just like, oh, that's mm. my video. <laughs> like... One, yeah. one from my YouTube but, channel. But I'm like, this is not compared to the plan. <laughs> like I'm saying, we've got to get him onto like Russell Brand's podcast, and then he's going to go onto Joe Rogan. Like this is all possible within a lifetime. So I've got to literally do all this. We've all got to like get that exposure so that we can actually get the support from other people. So we're supporting each other, and then we can actually base build, and then we can actually I mean, have an authority in like city centres where people can go to and learn 
from each other and learn what communism at any time. And it's not just people out with stands, people have got bases, and it's going to be literally this is what we're going to do in a lifetime. And like, it's just that's 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 the plan. That's no one can say you don't have ambition, I suppose. Yeah, but, but like it's it's not even me. It's just the people. This is like what we what we gotta do. It's like like shit. I'd rather not have to, obviously. But the revolution's gonna come first. Is it is it a crescendo when when you're singing a harmony? What's that called? That would be a harmony. Okay. Harmony. <laughs> so it, it's the harmony of public schools. Yeah, we sing- firefighters' welfare. Yes. And uh, and it kind of tapers off at the end, um, you know, the last, you know, stanza or what have you. Um, you could, you know, charm. You could sing that line till the end of eternity, and it will still ring true. That's uh, that's that's what um, I was intending for there. But we could just stop at the last, the last um, one. So I'm thinking. So me and mine don't butcher the song. Maybe we do the, the harmony and then the last four socialisms not when the government does stuff yes How is that? i i am all for that you're for it ryan what's up yeah for sure <laughs> so we're coming in public schools roads firefighters welfare i got distracted by uh by a twitter thing some some right wingers complaining about politicizing the holocaust and i'm losing oh, brain cells Lord. reading it <laughs> oh wow. my gosh <laughs> what do these people so, think politics is i'm really confused like people say like <laughs> Don't politicize the military. Don't politicize the Holocaust. It's like, what is politics to you? Like, what do you think politics is? If those things aren't political, like, what? How do you understand the world around you? Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's it's a completely different world. It seems. Um, it's very strange. <laughs> but they always act like they all got it figured out. I actually don't. Where are y'all like? <laughs> where are y'all both from? That's like the only thing that. Um, I don't know. I know you guys are, you know, you know, just neighbors um, almost. But uh, like, what part of? Uh... Yeah, we're in England, but Shibby's north yeah. and I'm south. So like, okay. he's in Liverpool and I'm like south coast. So we like. Ah, uh, okay. We're basically opposite ends of the country. I was going to say, like, it would have would have seems difficult, um, you know, for him to record everybody at the like the bot that you're using. Yeah, we're I on this. Realize that's all it was. <laughs> We're on the same time zone, though, so that helps, I guess. This is so funny. I um, I never even considered, like, even, you know, talking on any, you know, sort of podcast. It seems like it's so much work, you know, um, hmm. or, like, you know, developing one or anything. Um, I really appreciate what you guys have going on. Um, with the, as with any, you know, podcast, it actually adds, you know, nuance and, you know, education um to the uh the ongoing uh, discourse like in the cesspool and everything else that's going on if that, that makes any sense i yeah definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i really hope that this is you know this does offer a bit of a reprieve from everything especially with uh the you know those you know not even just COVID, but at least here in america <laughs> everybody's been a bit uh like their brain's been fried uh <laughs> because of sure. the last month or so I, I really do hope this, you know, is a bit of a reprieve. Yeah. I think that's important. For sure. Nobody likes being burned out. Definitely. 
Also, I do apologize for my uh, spotty uh, communication. That's no need to be sorry. Uh, I appreciate that. I, I just, uh, I, I really do need to be better about that because uh, I'm opening up communication slowly but surely, and that's that's that is something I do need to work on. But um, I wouldn't worry about it, honestly. Know. No matter how bad you think you are, Shibby is worse with communication. <laughs> like even with me, I can message him, and he won't even get back to me in hours. Like. I've got to ask, like, what is your background? Like, do you have, um, like, as far as, you know, did you ever go to university or, like, what did you study if you did go? Yeah, I did. I just got out last year. I did cybersecurity management, but, like, nothing is related to anything that I'm doing now, if that makes sense. So uh, it's kind of like, I can talk about it for sure, but it's, like, so completely unrelated, really. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, not, it's not interesting. I wish I went for like i don't know i was gonna say poli sci but then i realized that those courses are probably terrible you know so like i wish yeah. i did some kind of like politics related thing but i really didn't and i um, i considered um, political science you know briefly uh i i feel like i dodged a bit of a bullet <laughs> that's what people tell me i mean i think i think that's mostly an american thing like we don't even have political science over here we have like international relations and stuff but yeah. from, what, from what people tell me of the course or the subject is fairly terrible it's uh, it's very um it's a very uh yeah what, what I, people have told me about uh taking uh, political science that it, it's it's a lot of you know uh dissecting uh propaganda yeah <laughs> so i've seen pages of the syllabus and it's just like oh wow like I could not survive this. Yeah, uh, especially knowing what I know now. Like, let alone before I was, you know, you know, matured in my uh, political education um, outside of the confines of the bourgeois education. Um, yeah, that would have been a headache <laughs> to go yeah. through. I would have it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I. Um, <clears throat> yeah, as of right now, I'm doing uh, legal studies, which isn't much better. <laughs> As far as a uh, as far as a um, a degree is concerned, where you have to navigate that sort of thing, but um, at least sure. what I want to do with it is, uh, you know, I won't be stuck. Hope so. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that you know that as a course didn't exist outside of America. Um, I mean, I'm not surprised, but um, it makes sense. Well hello <laughs> yeah we have strange things over here as well i mean they've just i mean the uk just passed like a month or so ago they just made it illegal for any schools to teach like anti-capitalist material so that's the thing that happened oh i read about i read about that yeah yeah and, uh, they're they're trying to do this well they were trying to do the same thing here i'm not sure what the uh the next administration will do um in terms of that but yeah they were close to uh implementing that sort of thing i think it's just strange how the, you know, obviously the right wing is going to scream about everyone being taught Marxism in schools. And then the meanwhile, it's like illegal for them to do that in schools. It's just like, this is, these are left wing institutions. These, they're yeah. teaching you Marxism. Like, what, what school are you going to? Where can right. I enroll? You know. It's 
it's not that some people are just too dumb to understand it. I mean, that's complete nonsense, right? It can be taught to anyone. Uh, it is intuitive to some degree, and it's not like an intelligence thing. And, you know, we had some placards, one of them which said the pretty factual point that Zionism is racism. You know, it's not just a moral stand, it's a political stand. What you're talking about is the role that Israel plays securing the interests of US and British imperialism in the Middle East talking about Iraq or Afghanistan or something today where I am and I like understand these conflicts that have literally been going on since I was born it's just like horrifying it's not it's not British culture it's just the world's culture they love stories they love this idea that there is this nation that looks like this I think it's a distraction from the class struggle to be honest welcome to revolutionary lumpen radio so we're made up to have you on the show trip to discuss this topic that you could say that you've been quite vocal about in the past, you know, spreading the truth that socialism is not when the government does stuff. Before we go into this and your experience from like going viral from your TikTok video, we always love to get to know our guest on the show. So can we just ask you to introduce yourself, such as like your background, what brought you to the left, you know, your political tendency, any organizations you've worked with, Anything like that would be great before we go into the rest of like the subject matter. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I'm Trip. I use uh, they, them pronouns. I, there's really uh, not much to say about myself, I think, other than I'm a black legal studies student right here in Georgia in the belly of the beast. Like a lot of the people that I've come across the last four years, I'm a part of the 2016 presidential election pipeline, as I like to say. That was my first exposure to, uh, you know, progressive politics, uh, you know, electoral politics. And I slowly, but quite steadily, I would say, uh, progressed from there. As of today, I consider myself a learning Marxist-Leninist. I like to tag that prefix, learning to my tendency, only because it's the truth. I'm still pretty young in my political education, comparatively speaking. But that is the tendency that I uh, gravitated most towards and I, I feel is the most effective uh, for bringing about uh, communism. Uh, so as part of what supplemented my political education so far was the time that I spent as a candidate for the Party for Socialism and Liberation here in America. And I have nothing but positive things to say about my time there. But uh, unfortunately, I felt it's best to part ways because of school and work. And the requirements to have to effectively work within the organization, living in, you know, a semi-rural area, it was very difficult being one person. And you're not really able to organize effectively just as one person if you're not able to dedicate all of your time to that work. So I parted ways very amicably. I still have comrades in that organization. And as of right now, I uh, do volunteer work when I can with uh, La Suya, which is the Student Undocumented Youth Alliance that's here in Savannah. And yeah, I offer my time when I can. I, I go to actions when I'm able to, but that's about the extent of what I'm doing right now. I'm focusing on completing my degree and I'm hoping after I'm finished with my degree, I can go back into putting into the work and building dual power here. So yeah, that's, uh, that's me. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you all for having me on, of course. Uh, and I really appreciate what y'all are doing here. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Uh, um, I love that you say, you know, like learning. I think no matter how far along in your, you know, sort of education of Marxism, I think everyone should always prefix learning, right? Because no matter how much you know or think you know, you can always perpetually learn more, essentially. So I think everyone should always refer to themselves as learning because you never, you know, knowledge is never a destination, right? You never like, oh, I've arrived now, like I finished. Like that's not really how knowledge works. It's like 
a perpetual thing and you will forever be learning ultimately. Yes, absolutely. And of course, I, I don't want to be seen as like an authority figure on a subject, you know, that, that's precarious position. You could always be wrong. And uh, <laughs> having gotten a bit of an audience now, you know, because of that video and everything, I want to, you know, make sure like, hey, please do not listen to, you know, to only what I'm saying. Please read. <laughs> mm. Please read. Please learn from your other comrades and uh, please engage with politics, you know, not exclusively in an online sphere, you know, that's, that's never an effective way to, uh, to bolster that political education. But yeah, I absolutely agree. We're always constantly learning and we need to, you know, know that and, you know, self-critique and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. It's also a, a sort of, um, weirdly paradoxical thing, right? Like the people who say that they know things are usually the ones that don't, right? And it's the people that yeah. know they don't know anything that actually know a couple of things, right? So. It's a really strange dynamic where you should probably listen to the people that are telling you they don't really know anything because they're more likely to be honest about what they do and don't know. <laughs> it's a really strange thing. And on that learning, you know, being a legal student in the belly of the beast, or you described the black legal student in the belly of the beast. Can I actually ask you about two things? Like, what is it you plan to do as a legal student in the belly of the beast differently than somebody who is, you know, just a liberal? and is being a black legal student that different? And could you, I mean, is it that difference being black? Is, would you mind actually talking about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. What I want to do uh, later on after I finish my degree, I want to continue my degree. I want to get an additional one. And my prospect is law school, but what I want to do with my degree, I want to go into environmental law. That is my goal. I want to uh, work with, with environmental regulations and, and make sure that, you know, nobody's you know, pumping chemicals when they're not supposed to, because environmental justice and racial justice, I feel, are two completely intertwined struggles. And they have been ever since the civil rights movement. It's a very long tradition and it's a very long struggle. And I want to continue that. So that's, um, <laughs> I guess that you know, maybe differentiates myself from, um, from other, you know, liberals, because a lot of people go into this profession for a monetary purpose. They know that, you know, this could be a quite lucrative career and that is the primary reason why they go in. They don't want to go in to help people or they want to go in to defend a, a corporation, you know, business law, corporate law. That's not my end goal here. I want to work exclusively with the communities that are being affected by these corporations. And being a black uh, legal studies student, I would say is, I mean, this is, there's not really a lot of, I would say representation in this field uh, that I'm going into. And there's a lot of competition <laughs> as well. Mm. And, um, you know, as someone of my background and um, also someone, you know, being perceived as, you know, the way that I am, it, it's, um, I, I know that, you know, what I'm going to, it's going to be very cutthroat and, you know, there's going to be a, uh, it's going to be very hard just going through law school. So that's what I'm preparing myself for. And, you know, the resources that I need to compile, I need to be very diligent in that, that I'm not being shorted what is due that, you know, all the uh, opportunities are being afforded to me as anybody else would anybody that be white, for example, but that is my primary goal. It's not something that I came into organically. I never, you know, grew up thinking, oh, I want to go into law. <laughs> mm. that, wasn't my, that wasn't my intention at all. It was actually directly after the, uh, the 2016 uh, presidential election 
that I realized that uh, <laughs> there is something larger going on here and something very um, urgent going on here. I was 18 at the time. I wasn't, you know, really, you know, politically conscious beyond uh, my family voting Democrat. But after the 2016 election, I, you know, was able to hone on, you know, what the problems in society were. Like they had a name now, you know, it, you know, it was, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it had a name now. And it was it was so devastating, you mm -hmm. know, realizing that. But it was also like, you know, I could perhaps lend my assistance to, you know, there's people that say that climate change is a losing battle and we just need to prepare for the worst. You know, there's other people that say we still have time. You know, I peg myself as a bit of an optimist, if, if not an idealist. And I want to, you know, give what I have <laughs> mm -hmm. to what? Uh, stop the inevitable yeah um, nobody can see into the future like <laughs> I, I think it's an amazing amazing work that you plan to go out for like eco law you know environmental protection through legal means and helping out where you can in the environmental movement nobody with any sense could ever knock you for doing that that's just a, an amazing work and i do wish you all the best in that Interesting in the 2016 election with Barack Obama, as much as people knock him and knock these electoral imperialists, that they do actually bring out some kind of progressiveness in people. But that could always just be down to the material conditions in society and just might not take much to push people over. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, but... I get kind of nervous when I hear people say that because that's often used as sort of a, a reasoning for accelerationism. And I really hate accelerationism. Like, it annoys me so much, right? Like, what's that? Oh, so accelerationism is the idea that like, oh, what we actually have to do is accelerate the contradictions within capitalism so that it falls apart quicker so that people will, you know, organize and rally quicker. Right. There are left wing accelerationists who are literally like um, advocating for voting Trump because it would make things a lot worse. So that, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, God, the yeah. idea is like you make things better by making things worse. And I hate the idea so much for a number of reasons. But primary, like it's definitionally a position of privilege. Right. Because if you are a person advocating for, you know, heightening the contradictions of capitalism, chances are you're not one of the people that are going to be impacted by that greatly. Right. Chances are you're not someone who's like one paycheck from being kicked out of the house or something. Right. So I think it's sort of definitionally a, a, a position of privilege. But you're right. I mean, electoral politics does definitely radicalize people. There's no doubt about that. But no one should be, you know, advocating for the worse in bourgeois electoralism such that we can, you know, get more revolutionaries. Well said, Ryan. True. So now that you did become more radicalized and you talked to like Marxism to bring about communism and you also talked about one person organizing not being like a sustainable model for revolution. Did you also educate yourself or did you, oh. you, you know, how did, how did your education come across? Oh yeah. Like my time in the PSL, that was really only supplementary as far as my political education went. I, you know, started reading, I started listening to audiobooks <laughs> and uh, lectures and yeah. I started with a study guide, actually a source that I stumbled across that helped me out, you know, tr you know, just tremendously because I had no idea where to start, you know. <laughs> People, you know, were saying, oh, start with, you know, state and revolution, start with this, start with that. And I actually did start with state and revolution, but <laughs> I um, ended up going further and reading Fanon and Watt Rodney. Um, mm. And uh, also what 
actually kept me from drifting to, you know, one tendency or the other was the fact that there's such a rich tradition of Marxist and this practice here in America, you know, the Black Panther Party. Yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that they were <laughs> oh, communists. No. Just loads, yeah. <laughs> I, like, you know, they don't, they don't teach you this in school. They don't teach you about uh, Sata Shakur. They don't teach you about Fred Hampton. They don't teach you about Dubois or uh, any of these people. Angela Davis. Angela didn't know about her at all. <laughs> mm. I had no idea. They don't teach you because, you know, their politics is so intertwined with who they are. And they're like, you know, oh, you know, what if they find out that they're socialists? Right. <laughs> they find out they're communists. Mm. You know, we can't have that. So they teach you the very sanitized version of history. They taught us that, you know, Martin Luther King was a very nice man who wanted civil rights. Mm. That was about the extent of what I got in, in elementary school and high school. But after people were telling me, go, oh, you know, did you know, like, you know, most of the revolutionaries that you've heard about were growing up, they had class consciousness. They were, you know, talking about racial inequality as well as wealth inequality. And that blew my mind how dedicated the education system is to uh, suppressing uh, that information. <laughs> For sure. And it also solidifies that concept that Lenin was talking about, right? About like um, all revolutionaries being stripped of revolutionary potential and then sold back to the masses, right? So you get to learn yeah. about all these people. You just don't get to learn anything about, you know, the revolutionary potential of them. Yeah. And, and the fact that he wrote that so long ago and it's still relevant today, <laughs> they're all doing it. It is amazing to me. And it's, it's, it's disgusting and it's infuriating, but it's amazing. He already predicted this. And that definitely what made me... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that definitely kept yeah. me in the because it's just he knew what he was talking about you know like you read and it's like yeah he completely understands the material conditions that's actually happening today and there was no going back after that i don't know um <laughs> that was that my little rabbit hole there <laughs> it's an experience so many have shared we thought that it'd be good to talk about how this like episode came to be i sort of briefly touched on this before the episode started right but um I think there was some kind of tweet online about, um, you know, someone was tweeting something about, you know, you can't speak to any member of the military about communism being bad because they're literally a member of the largest communist party in the United States or something ridiculous like this. And then it was either yourself or someone, someone else um, re replied with your video to that tweet. And at that point, I, I just watched it for like uh, like an hour. I just kept repeating it and I was just like singing along. And then I like messaged it to Shibby and I was like, look at this. And then me and him just sort of like were singing along to it and having a good laugh for ages about it. Yeah, so I think that basically is how the, the, the episode came to be, honestly. But like what, what's funny about it is Ryan was like, oh, it's catchy. It's fun. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I can probably um, find those messages now. Oh, uh, look at it, like how messages are going. Yeah, you know, but, um, I can probably find it. <laughs> I said, oh yeah, it'd be so good to get them on and talk about their experiences. But then Ryan was like, not everything has to has to be like a podcast. But I think that, that Ryan was, was doubting that you'd actually come on and speak to, speak to us. But like, so was I as well. But like at this point, I was like that, like... I was in love with you, that it was just like, oh, I've got to speak to this person. They're just amazing for what they've done. And they'd just be so interesting to, to speak to. And I think that like my Twitter message probably said something along those lines. Yeah, so, like, you, said, you said, you know, tell me if this sounds, if this sounds mad, if this sounds crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, and it did sound crazy. I'm not even going to lie. But... <laughs> I was, but I recognized y'all and I was like, okay, what the hell? <laughs> no, I don't mind talking about this. Oh yeah, I remember now. <laughs> yeah, but look, again, 
it just really shows people what people power is. It's like comrades coming together and, you know, we're not all capitalist out here just doing things for ego and, and all of this. It's like, this is really going to be good and we hope that people appreciate you coming on and then speaking to us about this subject and then tying in what you've done with our project here. I My life own. is dope and I do dope shit. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we'll talk more about your TikTok video specifically, but like, I personally wonder this, like, did you have a background in music before you made this video? The editing's really good, like, it's proper catchy, you've clearly, like, planned this out, like, a direct in your head, like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you use storyboards because of, like, how well edited it is, like, you're moving your finger, you're pointing up the text coming up here, but, like, everything's on beat at the same time. Oh, yeah, so, like, I guess I could say that I have a quote-unquote background in music. It would be more accurate to say kind of around it, in a sense. I think everybody, um, you know, I grew up in, you know, in the choir. I was raised Southern Baptist, so I was in the choir. Um, I played violin in elementary school. I, you know, graduated to play an oboe throughout middle school and high school. And, you know, I have family that, you know, is sort of involved in the music business. But it's always... Uh, been a hobby for me more than a uh, than a pathway. <laughs> it's always been a hobby. It's something that's always made me happy to do. So it, it remains that to this day. And that's about the extent of that. <laughs> well, like, with that being said, like, did you consciously decide to make a video for class consciousness? How did that happen? I think the phrase socialism is when the government does stuff has achieved, you know, meme status um, among other socialists because of how absurd it is. But the thing is, you know, people genuinely believe that. So it was late at night when I was just dicking around on TikTok. And, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to make some music. You know, we're going to we're gonna make this happen. And again, I really don't remember the process of making it because it came out mm -hmm. uh, it just really just kind of came out of me i never even wrote the lyrics down i was just like you're repeating oh. stuff in my head until it sort of sounded like it made sense and it sounded annoying enough but it was also catchy <laughs> 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 you know? so like i had to straddle that line and it only has you know two chords throughout the entire song it was easy as hell and the thing about tiktok it's very user friendly that's why you're seeing you know grandparents like everybody and their grandmother using the app because it's so user friendly so the editing wasn't you know difficult to do um the transitions were all like you know features that were already within the app it wasn't like i was you know going in and editing anything everything meticulously it was already there and, and that's why that's what made the you know the video so easy to make but yeah i was really just like this is going to this is going to sound great and i uploaded it and it actually didn't get much traction on tiktok at first uh, so i re-uploaded it to twitter but i i figured somebody out there might like it you know <laughs> that's what, oh. that was my uh, that was my thought process then and then it blew up so <laughs> there was it, it did did you also like transfer some of your own personality on there or are you just kind of like an actor as well because the moments where you just stood there with your hands on your forehead just thinking like oh what's going on here like that's genius some of your actions on there is just genius let's be real the arms are the best bit like like the rave come on that cracked me up so many times <laughs> i was just like how many um like because there's so many um, features you can use within the apps. Like, how many like weird transitions can I use? And I was like, I gotta have a party at some point in this video. Like, we're all down. <laughs> <laughs> I 
all dancing to the chorus, right? So that's uh it was hilarious. I enjoyed that part because I, I really enjoyed filming it. It was frustrating um, at some bits, like getting the music to line up with the video itself. But everything else was great. Everything else was fine. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got your cat in like a bit famous too. So like, what what kind of response did you get when you made the video? And like, how did that actually compare to your expectations? Like I said, at first I didn't get much traction on TikTok. I'm not really on TikTok anymore. I'm not sure what the algorithm is like but it didn't really you know get much traction but when i posted it on twitter i started getting mad dms from people <laughs> <laughs> Why, what, what, what were the dms saying like um the uh george smiths from stick to your guns somehow found that video and dm'd me and was like we need to go on a tour with this and i thought he was joking but like he followed me on his in, on the main band account george smith he's uh stick to your guns it's a uh, metal rock band actually and it's very uh he felt what i felt when, when like he saw that video he's just like everybody needs to see this everybody needs to hear this yeah. No doubt. <laughs> it was it was amazing. I was I was like, hi, first of all, hi, thanks for talking about me. <laughs> and thanks for talking to me. Thanks for sharing my video. I don't know what to say to you because obviously you're way more uh professed in your new musical talents than I am, but I really appreciate the fact that you like this little earworm and you know I was you know, I was like there needs to be a whole uh series of these songs. That was the main uh reaction to this. I was like, when are you making another one? Right. And so, um, what's the answer? Well I was wondering this myself. <laughs> um well I, at first I was like I wanted to yeah, I'm working on something. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything and you know, not be oh. I, I am going to be working on uh, some, a few more things, talk, mostly talking about like certain, you know, just simple concepts um, that could be easily translated into a little ditty song-wise. Uh, I have nothing to share with y'all today, but that is in the works. I, I never, I've been asked it so many times. I never wanted to say anything until I guess right now. But yeah, I have heavily considered it. And yeah, I'm going to be, you know, recording some things professionally i have like sound recording equipment now instead of just using my cell phone you know oh, so um, <laughs> exclusive interview <laughs> definitely looking forward to that yeah certainly so yeah and also that and uh, perhaps a couple of collaborations so that's where we're going after after this and i'm very excited to do this cool. I think i've you know a bit of a contrast between uh, schoolhouse rock and the uh, communist schoolhouse rock you know cool. <laughs> So is this metal version going to come out or? Um, I will have to talk to George about that. <laughs> the metal version. <laughs> um, like this is before like the COVID-19 hit. And oh, I, yeah. yeah, this is before COVID-19 hit like super hard uh, here in the States. So unfortunately, I'm not sure when we're actually going to be able to make an in-person collaboration, but we have, you know, DM each other, you know, you know, after the fact, and we're like, yeah, we're still, you know, thinking about making music together. So uh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> this literally, yeah. um, I never really even considered like making music on uh, a professional environment. So I'm excited for that. I'm really excited for that experience. <laughs> but yeah, the reaction was, um, it was pretty great. Everybody was really positive about it. I got some people are trying to argue with me. It's like, you know, first of all, socialism is when the government tests. Uh, <laughs> don't you just love those people? 
I love those people. It's like, I, I can't argue with you in a Twitter comments. Okay. Right. I, I presented my argument. <laughs> you should have, yeah, I was going to say, you should have just linked them the video. <laughs> um, <laughs> you need to watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I think you missed the point. <laughs> well, that just pretty much leads on to the next point. Like this premise <laughs> that socialism is not when the government does stuff. I think it would be great if all of us together we discussed like just what this means and like one way we can do that is to ask ourselves why would people think that roads public schools you know these things are socialism and then we can move on to like ask like why that's a bad thing is it all down to like a matter of education or misinformation or other ideological reasons for people thinking that socialism is when the government does stuff like what what, what do you think Trip? yeah i think there's you know there's historical precedent to this you know like bernie was going back to 2016 you know the 2016 campaign the sanders campaign was a huge at least in the huge in the sense of fairly recent memory the repopularization of the word socialism like this was the first time that people are hearing the word socialism and you know seeing positive associations with it but it's also false associations that, you know, the campaign uh, asserted, you know, and, you know, like, like socialism means, you know, free healthcare, socialism means, you know, free public education, socialism means, you know, taxing the rich. And then that's, and that's what socialism is. And then, you know, that campaign pointed to Nordic countries like, you know, Denmark and, and Norway, like that's socialism, you know, that's, that's democratic socialism that, you know, created a wall for, um, I think for a lot of people, like that's where, you know, people stop trying to uh, learn more. And then the, he's not the first person to uh, present uh, socialism as something that it's not. Even back in, you know, the 60s, um, you know, Andrew Young and, and Martin Luther King, you know, they also reiterated the phrase socialism for the rich and free enterprise capitalism for the poor. Mm. That was a lot that was, you know, used throughout the civil rights movement. and. You know, even going before that, <laughs> there were people that asserted that, you know, socialism could be achieved through non-revolutionary um, means, that it could be done through incremental change, that it could be done through, you know, the system itself. And that's just so flawed and wrong and ahistorical. But the, you know, the argument continues to persist. The, uh, the mythos continues to persist. And I think it's very, you know, it's partly that and it's also the purposeful lack of education or just the omitting of education on, you know, what socialism actually is in, in Western countries. Uh, you know, Western countries whose values center around anti-communism, you know. Uh, so that's, you know, part of what I think is the reason why people conflate social safety nets and taxing the rich with being, you know, socialist institution, socialism itself, uh, rather than thinking that it is, you know, transitionary period between capitalism and communism. The goal is to eliminate, uh, you know, capitalism and, you know, uh, establish a, uh, a worker's state and decommodify means, uh, decommodify necessities, excuse me. So that's, I guess that's sort of my thoughts on it. I think it's mostly that and, you know, maybe just the rampant misinformation, you know, that we were exposed to from childhood, I think. And it's yeah. really hard to conditioning. For sure. It's still a, it's still a mystery to me today as to why Bernie would do that. Right. Because like, 
everyone knows he knows better, right? Like, there's no way he actually thinks that's what socialism is, right? I mean, the dude's been in the Senate for 50 years. He's over 70. So he's been in the Senate since 1970, right? Like, he's been to the USSR, right? There's no way he actually thinks that, you know, these things that he says, right? So it, it really is a mystery to me. I don't know why he would. I mean, it has to be deliberate, right, at that point. Oh, yeah. I, I believe it's uh, very deliberate. I mean, he, of course, he you know, denounced Castro you know, as a raging dictator during the 2016 campaign. And he did it again during 2020, I believe, uh, when it regards to Venezuela. And uh, I, I believe, yeah, it's, I believe it's very purposeful. There is no way. He, he continually distances himself I mean, as a politician away from, you know, the scary communist countries, of, you know, the Soviet Union and that. Uh, what was the Soviet Union and then and, and Cuba and, you know, socialist projects across the world and aligns himself with, you know, the capitalist interests, you know, that's what he did in 2016. And that's what he did in 2020. So it's, it's not a surprise to me at all. But it's because of, you know, that and the DSA, well, not solely because of that, but it definitely contributed. <laughs> definitely contributed to how yeah. people view socialism today. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it also goes to show, right, the limits of bourgeois electoralism, right? Because the idea that, you know, Bernie had to do those things, otherwise he wouldn't even have been allowed to participate in the process ultimately, you know, shows you how bourgeois electoralism will sort of strip any revolutionary potential. And if you're playing that game, then you won't even be allowed to operate outside the bounds of, you know, what they consider uh, acceptable, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you're absolutely right. They, you know, essentially didn't allow him. There's a lot, there's still speculation here that, you know, it was, you know, deliberately rigged against him. And, you know, they went to court and said, oh, you know, we don't have to make the, uh, the primary process fair, um, in any sense. They, they went to court in that and won that. So yeah, like you said, like bourgeois electoralism will not work in necessitating the change that needs to occur, the actual revolution that needs to occur, uh, to bring about a socialism. It, it just will not work. And it hasn't worked time and time and time again throughout the history of American politics. And, Definitely. Uh, <laughs> and just in case there are any sock dems listening, you have to understand that, you know, within the United States, it would be the Democratic Party, right? But the Democratic Party is ultimately a graveyard for you know revolutionary potential, right? Or, or the Labour Party in the UK is, is ultimately the same thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I believe we're we're seeing that again as we transition from this administration, the, the, the Trump administration, the Trump regime to the Biden regime, uh, the Biden administration, I believe uh, will continue to uh, see the disparaging of the left. Um, we're, they're already doing it now. Like, go, oh, he came so close because of socialism. You know, he was, he was seen too much as a socialist by a key demographics or something like that. That's the lie that they're perpetuating. And that's what they're going to use to justify the further, you know, erasing of, uh, you know, progressive messaging like Medicare for all and, you know, GND and et cetera, et cetera. The small reforms, like that's, that's what, you know, people have to say, and small reforms like that, that slightly threaten the wealth of the ruling class, they will shut down you know, through electoralism. It just simply won't work. <laughs> Definitely. And on the other side of that, um, before the you know election, me and Shibby made um, predictions on you know what would happen if if Biden won. You know, predictions you know regarding ultimately U.S. imperialism will continue, right? And I made these predictions saying that you know within a Biden administration, in the first four years, you will get probably another you know coup attempt in you know Bolivia or Venezuela or something. And I think on yesterday, I think it was yesterday on Twitter, I saw that, yeah, the next Secretary of State or something said that they were going to do exactly that, right? So I was like, yeah, of course. So that's... uh, Yeah, I'm very 
scared for what this administration will do in, in terms of, you know, its cooperation with uh, the CIA and, uh, and continuing to interfere with sovereign countries. That's that's essentially what we're going to see in the next four years. Just a lot, lot more devastation, uh, you know, continuing of war and uh, an increased um, aggression against uh, against China, and that's an increased aggression against the uh, the left. Uh, you know, I'm using that as you know a analogous term, but you know, people who consider themselves against <laughs> mm-hmm. against the U.S. imperialism, against capitalism, etc. They're definitely going to uh, turn fire on them as well. Would you think that it's fair for us to say that this confusion about socialism being when the government does stuff, you know, this confusion that socialism's for the rich and, and not the poor, or this that socialism is when you're in the military, are all of these intentional things, do you think, in order to confuse the, the masses? I think, yeah, I think it's very, um, well, I wouldn't say that, you know, some people are saying these in good faith, you know, some people are just saying because they're misinformed, because they've been misinformed, but the, you know, the posturing of that, I believe is, uh, is somewhat deliberate, you know, and it's also like kind of inevitable when you don't have that, you know, sort of baseline information, when you're not talking about class consciousness. So I, I think it's partly deliberate, but partly just because of the lack of education um, and a lack of uh, exposure to uh, to history in regards to uh, to socialist projects and you know revolutions around the world. So I think another reason why this is perpetuated, like, is is also a kind of interpassivity to me, yeah. and also a capitalist realism mindset where nothing can exist outside of capitalism. So. Like, consequently, you can have socialism within capitalism. Like, they think that they can think that they've got socialism in, cap- in like, a capitalist country, or they think that, like, Norway, <laughs> like, socialism could be in Norway, for example, or Switzerland, or whatever it is. But it's still within capitalism because they, they can't get out of the capitalist mindset that, like, there's a world that isn't capitalism or there's things in the world that, where capitalism doesn't exist. So, I mean, it's obvious that socialism is not when the government does stuff because we live on the capitalist governments and you can't have socialism and capitalism together. It's fundamentally not possible, like matter and antimatter, like coexisting together or being like dead or alive at the same at the same like time like it's literally insane like these concepts are insane and so whether it is people being like into passive thinking that they're trying to do a good thing moving towards socialism because like this party that's even though it's like what is a social democrat or who I, I don't care what they call themselves but like these parties to serve the purposes to the people who want to be like into passive where they just want to be the ones who do the recycling and then think that like global warming's just completely like over when obviously there's a lot more that we all need to do and it's systemic change. But you know what I'm saying? What I'm getting at is like, it's my frustration towards these social democrat parties and the liberals within them. At the same time, in the same way that, you know, Barack Obama's presidency could have radicalized you, we do not know what's going to be the best in the long run. All we do know is we do have to 
tell people to start looking like in the, towards Marxism or like towards like dialectical materialism or whatever, because people are being fed bullshit. And if you're living your life after being fed bullshit, well, you're gonna have a, a life that's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it goes back you know, to, you know, you've got them philosophers out there and all that, but that's what I'm coming out with. But <laughs> it goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? About like capitalism stripping the revolutionary potential from everything. And this is exactly what that redefinition of the word socialism is, right? It's definitionally stripping the revolutionary potential from the word, right? No longer does it mean, you know, a complete overturning of the system. It just means going back in time 50 years to like FDR days, right? This is the core of why I wanted to do that episode because this isn't something that the left is confused about. This is something that affects the right as well because even those ones who are proper right wing, all of these like Republicans and all that, and and the ones who hate their government and all that because they don't want to be tread on and all that bullshit. You know, these flipping Tories as well, who want less government control. These are the, it's the capitalist realism. It's being like stripped of revolutionary potential. Control is socialism and they hate socialism as well. So you get people on the left and the right who are thinking that socialism is when the government does stuff. Peak reactionaries and people are, are, are living their lives like on the bourgeois morality so that they're living their lives in the same way that like as if like trump's consciousness was in people's body like that's how people are living their lives that that like fed like neurologically to be like capitalist in society and like we're not even exaggerating here that's like the most messed up thing about all of this and you know even if there are people out there that think you know because you always get the um the saying, you know, Bernie would have won. The implication there is that, you know, Bernie, not only would he have won, but his administration would actually have been better. But if you'd actually been following, you know, who the Biden camp has been picking to staff the administration, a lot of them were coming from the, you know, Bernie campaign. You know, Faz Shakir, I think he was he was definitely on Bernie's campaign. He might even have been his campaign manager, who's now going to work in the Biden administration. So, you know, people really like to set up this idea that like, you know, Bernie is the solution or he's the vaccine or he's, okay, poor time of phrase, I guess, but he's the, the you know, the thing that's going to end Biden and shut him down and everything. But um, just in case there are people out there that don't actually understand why social democracy isn't the answer, it's because it doesn't deal with the class issues within society. Like if all you want to do is raise taxes slightly or even a lot, right? I think under JFK, there was something like 90% at the top income bracket. But even if you leave the, the class divisions and the classes in place, you know, the bourgeoisie still are the political class that control everything. So they can just reverse all of those reforms that you've managed to win over time. And if you don't believe me, that's literally what's happened. If you look at the FDR days through to today, what happened, you know? implemented uh, electorally will, will just be destroyed by, you know, the next president ultimately. All they have to do is right. sign a couple executive orders and it's gone. It's all just gone. It's just, it's just literally, it takes the piss because it's the exact same in the UK, like everything that you yeah. just said, it could be like attributed to like Corbyn, people are out there 
with like roses in the Twitter, like I stand with Corbyn. He's not even in the picture, <laughs> you know, he's not even like an MP or nothing, is he? Hasn't he been like flipping fired? Like, like what are people yeah. talking about standing with somebody who's been fired when the struggles out there with the masses have burned me? I don't mind, like. Yeah, that is that is kind of a different topic. We can talk about that because I've been wanting to talk about that for ages if you want. But uh, like, honestly, like I'm not in favor of the Kia Starmer wing of the party, obviously, but he did the correct thing, right? So he purged the party of all people who oppose him. Now, I don't agree with, you know, because he's the Blairite wing of the party, right? He's the Nancy Pelosi wing of the of the Labour Party in the UK. Who's, who's purging all parties? He did. Keir Starmer did, right? He purged members of the party. That's what he did to Jeremy Corbyn, right? He picked them out of the party oh, yeah. and either to other people, right? So that's he was correct to purge people if you look at it tactically, right? Obviously, I don't agree with his politics, but that's exactly what Jeremy Corbyn should have done. He should have purged all of people I like... I to ask, why didn't Corbyn purge Exactly, people? because he won't do it. Because that's not... They don't play like that, right? But that's what he should have done. He should have purged all Blairites from I, the I wouldn't party. even stop with the party. Uh, wait, well, well, how would you, you... You don't have any control over people outside of the party, right? Like, you can't purge people from the party that aren't in the party. If I got to the point where I was at the head of the party, believe me, at that point, I would have enough pull. I'd be purging all kinds. I mean, <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm exaggerating for entertainment, <clears throat> obviously. But yeah, he should have done that for sure. I mean, I know we're sort of off topic now, but he is the, the social, you know, yeah. democratic leader within the Labour Party in the UK. Um, you know, Jeremy so, Corbyn is essentially UK Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah. And there's, you know, the same criticisms that you're saying, you know, about what Jeremy Corbyn should have done. And he, he just wasn't that kind of guy to, you know, make those kind of measures. And I do say the same thing about Bernie, what the Democratic Party uh, did to him uh, throughout the Democratic primaries and, you know, things that he should have done. He should have been, you know, a little bit more... <laughs> you know, uh, meter in his messages or, you know, actually went on the attack instead of, you know, just, you know, taking, <laughs> taking shit from, uh, from every, um, everybody that was, you know, to the right of him. And, you know, it was very uh, poor posturing, I think, on his part, you know, he, he just wasn't that he was never going to be that candidate to do that. And uh, I, I do believe it's kind of silly to uh, make the claim that he would have actually, you know, won the presidency and done the things that he, you know, he, you know, his administration would have attended, you know, intended to do, especially in light of the cabinet picks that Biden is doing, you know, people from his very own campaign going into that new liberal administration. And then to go on and, ex and expect these people to bring about any kind of socialism yeah. is again just stretching the imagination even further. I was just wondering, have you got anywhere in mind where people can go to to find out what socialism would look like or like what socialism with their country's characteristics would look like because like people need vision i think that one reason people can turn into you know conspiracy theories and all these liberal ideologies is because maybe they're not exposed to a vision of what the future could like have you got any ideas where like people could go to to like get that vision? I know it's not like an easy question, but like, is is there any thoughts on on that out there, people? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it is a very loaded question because, <laughs> as yeah. you said, it depends on the uh, the material conditions of that country. Like you mm. know, the USSR did not look like Cuba. Cuba did not look like Vietnam. Uh, you know, Vietnam had you know looked nothing like. Uh, 
the DPRK, like these countries all, you know, came to be accepted these socialist projects, you know, successful in these socialist projects, entirely dependent on material conditions that called for, you know, Russia was merging out of the Tsarist regime. Cuba was emerging, you know, from a dictatorship that was backed by the United States. And I think we need to first define or try to define, or at least, you know, within the confines of what socialism is first, you know, first and foremost, before people start, you know, looking, you know, to see what socialism looks like in their respective countries. Right. Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, let's see, let's first say that, you know, socialism is the transition away from, excuse me, away from capitalism to communism. It is the vehicle. It is, you know, the mode of transportation (laughs) to get there. Right. Um, As I would like to say, you know, that's the baseline. You know, I think we can all, you know, agree on that that it's a transitionary period. And, you know, after that, we should, you know, look to see what, you know, these countries are are doing to uh, try into, you know, to build socialism, which, you know, let's start first with the collectivization of the means of production and not to disparage, I never meant to disparage social safety nets. That was something that, you know, people, you know, brought about, like, what are you saying that, you know, you know, healthcare and free, you know, and free education are these bad things? No, they're certainly not. And, you know, these were things that were written about by Marx and Engels um, that needs to be in a, at a socialist project, like a, you know, a robust, you know, social safety net of some sort. But, you know, that can't, you know, just stand alone by itself. <laughs> that's why Norway and, you know, Denmark, that's why those places are not socialist. And I would also even go to say that, there is direct accountability in this worker state. You know, as of right now, we live in a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. There is no direct accountability uh, between the people that um, are, you know, working within the confines of the state and, you know, the rest of us in proletariat. In a, you know, a dictatorship of the proletariat, there would be, you know, a direct accountability to the people. They would be answering to the people that, you know, that they serve directly. There would be heightened democracy. There would be an actual sense of democracy for once, you know. And also, there would be a, a mantra of, you know, to each according to their labor, as opposed to, you know, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, as we would see in, in, in communism, but to each according to the labor, which should be, you know, it also another, you know, characteristic of a socialist project, something that's in the works. So with that being said, <laughs> what would that look like in their respective countries? Um, as like, as of today, as of in 2020, well, what are y'all doing to move away from capitalism? Are you trying to build dual power uh, within the system? Uh, well, not within the system, but, you know, outside of the system, rather. And is that, you know, is your primary goal to to the end abolition of the classes to move to a classless, stateless society? That is a very little question that you asked me. I honestly um, am about as did <laughs> as you Did you prepare are. something on paper or did you just come up with that off the top of your head? I like wrote like a couple of, of, of bullet points, but I, I was hoping that along, you know, my little spiel that I would come to a conclusion. I still don't no, have that. There's a lot there though, because I don't he think came I... back with a big answer for a big question. And yeah, there's a load there that you could speak about. I actually think the only correct answer to that question is ultimately, I don't know, right? Because I don't think any of us can see into the future ultimately. And I just want to drive your point home even further about, you know, the, the it not being a real democracy Thing, right? I think there was a study that came out from Princeton a couple of years back showing that you know public opinion has zero impact on public policy. It has zero impact on the laws that get passed. Right? Mm-hmm. So you know, people want to uphold these systems like the UK or the US as you know, democratic 
But if nothing that comes out of them is what people are asking for, then you know this is definitionally not democracy, right? Yes, exactly. And that's another thing that, that people, you know, think that happens in a communist, you know, society and a socialist state that there's no democracy. No, there is plenty of democracy. <laughs> You know, this is moving towards a true, true democracy. And the fact that they've, you know, so cleverly and so effectively, you know, parroted the opposite of that is just a testament to how, you know, effective um, anti-communist propaganda has spread from the Cold War on. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible, I think, that people still have that uh, misconception that it's somehow less democratic in a, you know, a dictatorship of the proletariat than a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, people just don't even realise that, like, all of the rights that we do have were, like, really insanely fought against over hundreds of years. And, I mean, come on, people just need educating. Just just the labour rights movement in the United States, people don't understand enough, right? Like, people don't understand, like, the roots of the IWW, or they don't understand things like... You know, people generally have no understanding of those kind of historical, um, like the Battle of the Bulge or anything. Is that not Battle of Bulge? Battle of Blair Mountain. Um, yeah. Yeah. That people don't know about that. Definitely. And, it's, and uh, you know, here in the United States, anyway, people seem to have this idea that there's no revolutionary zeal in the South. There absolutely was. Um, there absolutely was. There's a long tradition of that. And, you know, the fact that Battle of Blair Mountain. Um, you know, isn't taught in schools. It's just another example of the uh, deliberate uh, erasure of a class struggle here in the United States. Um, There's also a text that we touched on towards Soviet America. I think sure. that's what it was called. Yeah. And uh, that's amazing. I've only read those, a few extracts from there, but that's like incredible work. work. Like if you're from the United States, that's def definitely important. A large proportion of our listeners are from the United States. So uh, I always insist that people should go away and, and um, read that. But again, a lot of it comes down to us. A lot of it comes down to what the people around us want. And nobody knows what the people want better than us. We can always ask them. And because there's never been a socialism or communism in our country before, it does require a lot of vision, a lot of thinking. And it's going to take a lot of hard work. But we're going to go down and do it because <laughs> we've got no choice unless we want extinction for an entire species on this planet and untold suffering before that happens. So where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Have you got any projects that you want people to check out and like support? Because, you know, now is the time to do so. And we'll also ask everybody else to do so. We'll have it in our show notes too. Yes, please. So um, you guys can find me at uh, Anti-Homeowners Association <laughs> or Anti-HOA, um, mm -hmm. all lowercase on Twitter. That is my uh, primary way of being contacted. And at the very top, I have right now a uh, COVID-19 relief GoFundMe that's being sponsored by La Suya or, you know, the Student Undocumented Youth Alliance here in Savannah. And that group regularly gives a financial assistance along with food to uh, the undocumented families that are here in the Savannah area. And, and uh, we are doing this, especially in light of the horrific uh, crimes that were committed in Osceola, Georgia, in uh, Irwin County Detention Center, where they were found to have been conducting unlicensed hysterectomies on a detained woman. And that city, or that little town rather, is only maybe about a couple hours south of here. So that is the work that they do. I um, certainly volunteer with them. 
and uh, we still have uh, we have a twenty thousand dollar goal, and uh, we're only it's been up since about June, and we're only maybe uh, half the way there. And you know, anything helps if you would be so kind. We're still going through some very tough times here in Savannah, and uh, the people are still struggling with evictions and with unfair um, housing practices that are here. And of course, we don't want any more of our siblings to be transported over to that detention center. So uh, that's really all I've got to say <laughs> as far as plugging in anything. Uh, but do check us out. Yeah, boss. Sounds Excellent. like you're doing amazing work out there. Yeah, for sure. So I was talking to Shibi about this um, uh, before about, you know, both your actual Twitter at name and your, I don't know what the other name's called, that stage name or whatever. It's definitely a running theme here, especially through like healthyyards.org as well. So um, Shibi, you know, I was talking, like I said, I was talking to him before and he didn't seem to understand like um, why or what that was about, like anti-law and action. So I guess maybe you should talk to him a little bit about like the creation of the suburbs I'm kind of feeling oh, like there's it, a little... Isn't that about like instead of having sh- like crappy grass and in your garden, <laughs> you can actually grow food. I've heard that like some people don't want to do that because they think that like there's pollution like on it from the cars nearby but like i'm all for it because instead of having <laughs> just just shitty grass in your garden you can actually grow like actual like proper food like loads of food in your garden is that what anti-lawn action is about or is there something deeper to that and i'm just being naive which is why ryan's giggling <laughs> it's like I, you could really do a whole episode yeah for sure <laughs> but uh, yeah, so homo- anti-homeowners association is definitely tied to um, anti-law action. Yes. It's very tongue-in-cheek, but at, at the very end of the day, yeah, it's a, it's promoting um, healthier um, practices of landscaping, and because that also has a very long history of, of classism, of you know environmental issues, and uh, just degrading nature of suburban sprawl. And you were asking about the uh, suburbs, actually, you know, homeowners association. Mm-hmm started building up because they wanted to exclude certain ethnicities yep. from the suburbs that were, you know, being created around, you know, the 1940s and 50s. So that's that was their primary purpose, you know, to put in really harsh regulations to exclude certain classes and races of people. That's what it was from the very beginning. And to this day, they still have very, uh, you know, very draconian practices. Segregated <laughs> societies. No, we've still got it in our city today. Like the toxic, like, um, waver tree dingle areas are all segregated. And we've got, like, basically all the non-white people. And it's insane, like. You know, because God forbid different coloured people live next door to each other because we might actually all just be start to get used to it. And once people are used to it, then we might actually realise, hold on, it's not this certain coloured person who's causing all the problems in, in my world. It's the flipping government. It's the ruling class. Honestly, it's always pissed me off and, and I've always like mentioned it on the podcast because it's real and, and like I'd love for people to go out there and think about it where they live. Have you got segregated like societies with different ethnicities and in like non white areas and, and really be yeah. confident as okay. to say that of course they have. And at the same time people <laughs> grow food, not lawns. It only makes sense people are hungry out there just normalise growing food <laughs> instead of buying from like your, your local Tesco or your local supermarket, just like grow it ourselves. But at, at the same time, that right, my me, me mum was planting flowers when we first like moved into this house. It was like a new build house, and um, 
she was planting flowers in her front garden and as she dug up like the grass, like just a little bit, just below it, was like a medium size, like a piece chicken nugget meal from McDonald's box where the builders had been building it and then just throwing it on the grass before they uh, put the grass on and the mud. How, how, how disgusting is that? For sure. Isn't it's also- that cheeky? I don't know why as well, but like homeowners associations, for some reason in my mind, are like a textbook definition of one of the evils of colonialism. And I know that sounds like a really strange thing to say, but like the idea that the Americans broke from the Europeans, like settled that land, like genocided Native Americans just to build homes on it and then like their own little weird social groups to exclude other social groups it, it's just the whole thing is strange to me like for some reason homeowners associations really are like the epitome of you know settler colonialism for me they just scream it and i'm not sure why but they've just always been that association in my mind oh i think you're absolutely correct um i really have nothing else to add to that that is a very um you know spot on um observation and you know even the practices that they brought over you know, from Europe over to uh, to the colonies, going back to even just lawn culture, you know, a lot of it was, you know, decadence. They transported over here. You know, that was all very, you know, deliberate. Definitely. <laughs> you know, lawn culture, you know, only people who had wealth, you know, who people had land, you know, had lawns and, you know, they had enslaved people, you know, tending to it. So, yeah, it's a very, very, very long. Um, oh, my God. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. So- yeah, so uh, it's very much tied into uh, to uh, into neocolonialism. Yeah. I believe. Oh and then they they also like sold the dream of that land back to the proletariat in the version of the American dream, right? Like the white picket fence and the the lawn, yeah. right? Like that was the. Yeah, um, there was um, efforts to sell this idea, like you you know advertisements upon advertisements about lawn mowers and how you know a well kept lawn made you a better person made you a model mm. society. Uh, so yeah, there's, is, um, <laughs> again, y'all could do a whole episode on this. Yeah, topic. we probably should. Uh, yeah, no, I'm getting loads of um, ideas and thoughts here because it's real, it's deep. I've always been pissed off at, at the idea of proletarians being content with this tiny two meters of fucking two inches grass and fucking a little three meters back garden uh, with like fucking three centimeter thick wood fence around their back garden like the size up to their eyeballs or their forehead in their back garden separating them from like 12 other houses with, with like a back garden and there's no privacy whatsoever but people are content with these small and, and it's like at the same time to a lot of people this is like their only like experience with nature you know most of our trees in, in like cities are, are planted intentionally at like the side of the roads and i think that a lot of it is like what you might be getting at as, as well with the lawn things it's just just a detachment from just the real world and, and at least having some attachment with it again like where we can in, in cities and i don't know it just really pissed me off like the the conditions that we live in and in, in like our hamster cages that we call houses that people are proud of to slave like 40 years of the life over and you, you know or risk fucking death and poverty and you know it's insane to me yeah. and they tell you you know what the cool thing well not the cool thing but the- <laughs> 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 um, they tell you this is what's going to happen in the communism right yeah. you're going to have this very small space to yourself you're not going to have any um oh, exactly, you know, yeah. 
to yourself. Like you, you can't do what you want, but it's already happening right now under, under capitalism, even more so <laughs> people being squeezed into uh, these small living spaces with very limited things that they can actually do on their own home. You, know, you can't even, you know, the HOA I live in, I can't grow a garden for my front lawn. You know, I can't grow food for myself. That's insane. Like, mm. um, <laughs> like mad though, yeah. <laughs> like, you learn these things, like, even as, like, a kid. I remember, like, being on holiday in, like, Turkey or something. There was bananas growing on trees, and, like, I wanted one, and, and like, I was being told, like, no, you can't have them because it's illegal, you're stealing. And I was, like, oh. a kid, I was, like, are you fucking mad? I was, like, this is, like, planet Earth, motherfucker, what are you on about? It's, yeah. it's stealing, it's growing on a tree. To think that, like, a human being could have food growing out there and, and i was probably a little bit hungry at the time you know and i was a little bit peckish and and i just couldn't eat this banana but it just just uh, yeah. what, what kind of plan are we living on? you know what that reminds me of so hard i think like i can't remember what what book this is i have all these like thoughts and stuff like of stuff i've read i can just never remember where i've read them right so Marx tells this story that's literally like that, right? It's like, um, I think it was in, in winter in, in Germany, you know, the people used to go to the forest and gather firewood so they could make it through the winter. Except one winter, what happened is um, that land was sold off uh, and it was, you know, privately bought by someone. So then when they went to buy, went to gather, you know, the firewood for the winter, you know, obviously they weren't, they weren't able to. And the police stopped them and like tons of people died that winter just because, you know, that forest was bought by like some private whatever dude and he stopped them collecting firewood. And as a result of that, just like all of those people died. But that was in Marx's time. What we're looking at it today is... Still capitalism, dude. Um, yeah. What we look at it today is natives and indigenous people being forced of the island because Mark Zuckerberg bought it. Oh yeah, Hawaii, like, right? You know, never mind a forest or the woods. Mark Zuckerberg's out there and all these other millionaires, billionaires are buying island, islands and displacing the local inhabitants. That's the extreme that we're living in today. Oh, yeah. Kim Kardashian was just mocked on Twitter not that long ago for doing that, remember? Remember? You might not. Mm -hmm. When she, like, went to her private island and brought oh, all her yeah. friends over and she was talking about, like, oh, so it's been so hard on us. And she's got, like, an entire group of islands all to herself. It's just like, come on now. Or something. Like, yeah. That was <laughs> but she even, like... I was going to like go back to uh, the point that you made about, you know, you know, getting bananas and, you know, you, you got in trouble for that. There's, you know, anti-foraging laws, you know, here in the States, like where you can't get food off of, you know, quote unquote public property, property owned by the city or something like that, uh, oh. for example. No. Yeah. Like, aren't, there, uh, aren't there also laws that you like can't collect rainwater and things like that? Yeah. There's also laws like that in certain areas that you can't collect <laughs> <rainwater>. <laughs> What? What? <laughs> you know, get a rain barrel and get what comes out of the sky. You can't do that. That's stealing. <laughs> or something. Right. Um, wow. But it's, 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 <laughs> it's hard to wrap my mind around. You know, frankly, it's inhumane is what sure. it is. Like, at the end of the day. It also just brings home the point I'm always saying about like, they you know, the law's not. Is human. Yeah. Also, but like the law's not a function of justice. It's a function of power. Right. Fucking, oh my god, well trip. let us just say thank you so much for joining us, it's been a real pleasure, I've enjoyed it all the time, we really do appreciate your time, your thoughts on this matter, it has been important to get this message across to the people, <laughs> I would normally just say sign off with some peace, love and solidarity but 
Can we get a little special performance, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I am all for it. <laughs> What's our band name? Um. <laughs> we are now all anti-lawn action. Let's go. We're all anti-lawn action. Let's go. Thank you. I put on an American accent. I do not think that comes through over your your scouse one. That, that was uh, extremely fun. Uh, Definitely. Um,